Welcome to the West Matters podcast. My name is Diane Capelli, and today we're speaking to Graham Bloor. Graham is a Canley resident, a Bringbank advocate, and will be running for the next Bringbank Council elections, which will be held later this year. I brought Graham on to talk about um, the things that matter to him in terms of Bringbank and what he can bring to council, and I guess some of the issues that um, he thinks. Uh, we need to address that maybe the current council um, hasn't been able to do with much success. So, uh, Graham, welcome to West Matters. Yep, thank you, Di, and uh, great to be on and really enjoying the opportunity. And um, hello, listeners. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, so do you want to just maybe start by telling um, the listeners a bit about yourself and your background? And um, I suppose... uh, not not really trying to sell yourself, but, you know, what can you bring to council and, and why why you've decided to run? Yeah, thank you, Di. It's, um, look, and I, I really want to be very um, transparent right up front because I think it's really important. I take the role of a councillor seriously. Um, it's a responsibility and it's a duty um, and it's actually something that I think is an honour to be actually able to represent um, the people of our ward, um, and probably at this stage, um, I envisage that with the ward that I'll be in is grasslands. That's subject to, that the moment, the boundaries of the wards, listeners are just being rejigged by the government, and we still don't have answers in regard to that. But that possibly will be uh, the ward that I'm in, and we'll have more information about that. So a little bit about myself. Um, other than uh, my wife and I, um, I'm actually married to a beautiful Filipino lady. Um, so. Um, I am very much aware of um, of uh, different cultures, um, not only from marriage and uh, a long-term marriage, but um, and a wonderful marriage, but also um, we have a, uh, one of our children attended local school here at Camley Park Primary School, which is absolutely fantastic. Great little school. Um, we've been in the area for 17 years. And during that whole time also, I've actually worked in um, senior roles in actually delivering and managing and rolling out contracted case management services. So that means support services for people who are newly arrived refugees. And often refugees, simply by the fact that they are refugees, have needed to flee their country of origin. It may be through civil war or strife or revolution or oppression uh, if they're a minority group uh, and actually really in imminent danger uh, of either death or torture or disappearance. And um, so they're very real um, you know, f- uh, fears of persecution that actually lead people to actually flee their home country. And I've worked very, very closely with uh, a number of new and emerging communities um, right through Victoria, in actual fact, in helping set up service delivery and support services. Now, what that actually means for you listeners is that I have a really good understanding, and not only understanding, but respect and compassion for people from different cultures apart from just Australian culture. Um, So, uh, you know, having that uh, really valuable time and insight has been a real privilege because it's given me a really great understanding of the issues, um, you know, that uh, people who are coming from other cultures and often other languages um, and the issues that they face coming into Australia and uh, from a local level, what that means at a local level. So I guess in that regard, I can, I can say very strongly and clearly up front that I get it. I understand 
the issues from the perspective of people who are new, newly arrived, from people from other cultures, people who have different languages, both old and young and in between. So that's the first thing, that, and I think that's a really important issue that I am actually have a very clear understanding of that. And my intention is to actually support and listen carefully, regardless of who you are, regardless of how old or young you, you are, you will have my respect and you will actually have my ear in regard to any issues that you want to bring up with me. That's the first thing, Di. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great introduction. I think, um, look, it's important that, um, you know, uh, you get an opportunity to um, share share who you are with with people and um you know the the council elections later this year will be via a, po a postal vote so um it'll be done probably in the space of about two months um you'll see a campaign come through hmm. and um and i i guess you know um people won't know you know if you don't sort of let uh let yourself be known and and tell the people who you are now and and you're you know very prominent on social media as well um and we'll talk about your your facebook page um as well but if you do want to look it up um you can search graham bloor official and i'll put that in the details in um this episode as well so um graham do you want, do you want to just maybe talk about some of the things um that are passionate to you yeah, in terms yeah, of what you'll be campaigning for. Okay, yep. All right. Well, here's, here's starting with the big ears number one, and this is this is a big one, listeners, because I know it's one that potentially impacts many, many, many of us. Um, frankly, we've got a third world bus service in the West, and it's inexcusable that after all this time that nothing has been done about it. And it's not been by lack of trying. Um, I've been actually leading a campaign in Cam Lee um, in regard to the development, uh, potential development of the last remnant, and it's a 41 hectare block of land, the land on the corner of Ballarat Road, uh, the Western Ring Road and Canley Drive, where the windsocks are, listeners, that you can see from Ballarat Road and the Ring Road, which is which was part of Albion Explosives Factory. And Development Victoria, which is an agency of the Victorian state government, have plans afoot to actually develop that land. Now, I'll have more about that later. But what that effectively will mean is when that development's done, there will be up to an extra 3,500 people into an area that's very already very, very poorly served with bus transport. So an example of that is that there's still no bus going up the main thoroughfare of Canley, even though this community has actually been in place as a planned community for 25 years. And now we have raised this issue with our local MP, Natalie Suleiman, and her counterpart, Ingrid Stitt, I actually have emails from them, which I'm happy to actually provide proof of, uh, in which they have promised me in March of last year, sorry, March of 2022, correction, um, that they would actually follow up in regard to uh, whether Department of Transport could investigate uh, commencing a bus route, which actually um, you know went up and down Camley Drive, because at present there's nothing. Although, here's the irony, Di, you can actually ring up and actually get a free bus to and from the local pokies. But after 25 years of this estate being open, you still can't get a bus. Right, that's the first thing. Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty atrocious. The second thing is, if any listener wants to check out what I'm saying here, and please do, please, don't just take my word for what, you know, what I'm saying. 
check it out for yourself and you'll see that what I'm saying is the absolute truth. If you look at the bus routes in the West, uh, it's like seeing a bowl of spaghetti. It is all over the place. It's almost unbelievable how convoluted um, the routes are. They go all over the place. What actually it means is that at the present, as uh, listeners would well know, you'll be lucky to get a bus every 20 minutes. Sometimes the buses can't even stop because they're already jam-packed. So that means if you miss one bus, you've got a 40-minute wait. Now, in a state like Victoria, which boasts itself as being so progressive, that's absolutely disgraceful and unacceptable. And what we are saying is that there are alternatives. There are other ways of doing this. And one of the ways that actually has been already uh, mooted is a, that there was modelling done, computer modelling of what could be done to actually improve service efficiency and frequency of buses in the West, okay? And it was done by a man called Dr. John Stone from RMIT and his team. And using um, modelling, they actually found that if you actually were able to straighten the routes and, mark the, and make them basically more direct, what effectively you could then do is shorten um, the frequency of service. In other words, you would have more buses available because the routes are actually easier to, ride, uh, to drive. And that effectively could mean that you could have a bus every 10 minutes. Now imagine that, having a bus that you could actually rely on every 10 minutes. Um, now, yes, there would be a little bit of extra walking for some people, but what this could also mean is that this could also be introduced in conjunction uh, with the community buses to actually help people who have disabilities or are disabled or elderly to actually get to the main bus service as well. And the beautiful part of this die, and I know people are probably thinking, ah, oh, that sounds like it's going to cost megabucks. Well, no, it doesn't, because the infrastructure is already in place. We're talking about something that would actually cost around the $40 million mark. But having this done would make a huge difference to people of the West. We actually have die in the West. Our rate of car ownership is almost three times higher than some other parts of Melbourne. And the simple reason for that is because people need a car because it's so difficult to get anywhere by public transport and it's not cheap, as you and I know, Di. Yeah, it's very expensive. And it's, it's um, uh, to be honest, I can't even imagine where I'd go um, to get my local bus to get to my nearest train station. And I'm in St Albans. So, um, you know, you see a lot of them driving around, but the the thing is you just don't know where it's going and, and you don't know the timing of it and when it gets to the train stations. And, and you know, if, if they're not sort of in sync with each other, then, um, you know, you're left standing at a bus stop for, you know, like you said, 20 minutes um, by the time you get to the train station, um, they run, well, I don't even know how often they run, 20, 40 minutes. Uh, and we're talking in the West here, uh, Graham. I mean, like you've you've spoken before about the experience in the eastern suburbs. This is not something that is new to the state. This is something that we just don't have in the West because it's never, just never been done. Yep. That's exactly right, Di. I, I, listeners, I actually grew up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. And one of the things that really struck me when I came out to live in the West about 15, oh, 17 years ago, sorry, when I moved to Camley, was the difference in terms of the lack of services and support networks out in the western suburbs compared to the east. And what I 
you know, where I'm coming from is I just want us in the West to be able to have the same range of services that the rest of Melbourne take for granted. I don't think that's unreasonable at all. I think that's fair, you know, because why should we be disadvantaged simply because we live in an area where we are, where we are not supported, where we are, where we are not ad adequately represented or and there's not a level of advocacy. And guess what? This actually stems from a council that is actually owned and run by the Labor Party. The Labor Party's influence in Brimbank Council is profound, and this is one of the major problems and one of the major issues out here, Di. Um, an example of that would be with the uh, recent mayoral election. Now, classic case here of, um, of democracy trampled. You and I as ratepayers do not get an opportunity to vote on who should get the $125,000 a year job as the mayor of Brimbank representing our whole LGA. Those deals in regard to who is going to be mayor and deputy mayor, and this is actually a fact, all right, and this is from a senior councillor who's a Labor Party member, has actually told us that these deals are done and have been arranged in the offices of a state Labor MP ahead of time to work out and arrange who will actually get to be the next mayor, which is every 12 months. Mm, this, yeah, is, this is the sort of nonsense we want to change and yeah. it's reflective of a council that whereby the council members who are part of ALP dance to what the ALP says must be must happen. Completely unacceptable. And that is not representing the local community. So we're saying as a group of independents, there's actually a group of us who will stand and die and I are part of that group. Uh, an independent alliance called the Western Independent Alliance. We're really determined to make a difference and to actually work for the betterment of our community so that you actually have a local member who is truly independent, who cannot be bought, who cannot be bought, all right, and will actually stand and represent you, not the Labor Party, not the Liberal Party, not the Socialists, not, not the Greens, but actually represent you and me. And I think that is so important at a local level. So this is about also local government for local issues. And and going back to the bus network issue, Di, um, you know, we I've been also very heavily advocating and supporting um, the Better Buses for the West campaign. Um, we've, we've also got videos that are on YouTube that you can actually see, uh, one of them in which I've been interviewed as part of that, along with a range of other people. And Di, you touched on a really important point. The reality is, um, you know, and we've had students who actually tell us that when they've been waiting for a bus, the reality is if they miss the bus, all right, that is actually 20 minutes away, they've got another 20-minute wait for the next bus if that bus is late or cancelled or too crowded. So the reality is they've got a 40, up to a 40-minute wait just for the bus. The average mm -hmm. takes nearly twice as long in the West, nearly twice as long, as other parts of Melbourne. So you yeah. get a compounding effect. Well, naturally, people really get frustrated with a service that is antiquated, that's third world, that should have been updated years ago, but hasn't been because we have MPs out here who do not advocate anywhere near strongly enough and support us. And we, as councillors, if we are elected as independents, we will actually be saying, you need to do better. We need this for our whole community because... If it's done properly, everybody benefits. The whole community benefits. 
you know, we, our elderly and those who can't drive or can't afford a car have got a regular safe bus service. Our young people, our students who are going to other schools or community meetings or sports events or so on. But this is another example, Di. We've got the largest employer out in the northwest is the Tullamarine Airport Precinct. Now, if you and I, if you or I wanted to uh, get a bus to the airport or get to the airport for work, we have to, first of all, try and get a bus. Good luck with that to the nearest station, then get on the train to North Melbourne Station, then jump on another train at the Broadmeadow Station, then wait for a bus uh, at Broadmeadow Station out to the airport precinct. So you're looking potentially at an mi absolute minimum, one and a half to two hours each way, each way per day. And we're saying That's the state government's got enough money to throw $35 billion of uncosted and this has been uncosted, and the Auditor-General has actually come out and said it's unwarranted, this, this massive white elephant state rail loop, which, by the way, won't get to Werribee until 2083, all right? So zero benefit for the West of this. It will actually mean that we're asking for a miserly 0.1% of that budget to fix the bus service in the West and to give our kids a chance. And what we're suggesting as part of that also, instead of the multiple and long running saga of delays with the airport rail loop, which has yet again been delayed because we have a bankrupt state, we are calling for something very simple, a bus service from Sunshine Station up through one stop in Camley, one in St Albans and maybe one in Keelor and to the airport, and guess what? That bus service, you could actually have it running and have people from Sunshine to the airport every half hour. Every half hour. It'll take a half hour service, all right? Um, diet's a no-brainer. Our kids yeah, need the same chances sure. to get to work as everyone else in Melbourne. And yeah. it's just quite ludicrous, you know, that we have a one-and-a-half-hour to two-hour public transport service, so-called, you know, to get from here to the airport. So that's the first yeah. one, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I think public transport and, and the bus service is a huge one. And um, and going back to what you said before, you know, you, you've got a you've got a letter from Natalie Suleiman. She's been um, the state MP for St Albans for, for over 10 years. Um, you've got a letter there from 2022. This is the kind of um, neglect that that we talk about when we say labour neglect. And, um, you know, I don't want people to go into this year's council elections without asking themselves first who, who, who you are and who you're representing, okay? Are you, are you there representing the Labor Party, um, you know, Liberal, Greens or Independent? Because... If you are, if if they are labor, what you're gonna get is what you've constantly seen. And and let's not forget the council was sacked in 2009 uh, for, for some of some some of the uh uh dodgy deals under the table where they were caught out. And and we we just got out of administration um around 2016. So this is really probably the first or second set of council we've had and um and as it's you know as it is today they are majority labor 
it's it's six to five um at least um and um yeah i i think it's just something that's really important that people really need to consider um you may have voted for labor in the past you know mm. because you always did um yeah. i'm sure yeah. we all have at one well, stage it's yeah. but it just doesn't mean you have to keep doing it you know yeah. just yeah. just do you do your facts and checks and uh and make your decision um you know count i guess that that's so true Di. And, and the reality is if you actually just continue voting the same as you have then don't expect change you won't get yeah, it that's right because yeah don't come onto the you know but don't come onto facebook groups or uh um you know uh complain to to council and expect to get a response uh, you know you, you vote for the same you get the same and it'll fall on deaf ears so yeah you know because when yeah. i actually came out to the west and this is a disclosure i'll make listeners mm. i actually came out to the west as a rusted on labor supporter i really was you know, mm. right? and i'd been a union representative and so on but it actually took for me to see and to experience it myself with my own eye with my own eyes and to see the corruption the nepotism the cronyism the deals for mates all right, the faceless people behind the scenes making the decisions about who would be our mayor and our deputy mayor, right? Not based on merit, not based on merit, but no. based on turn, all right, whether they're part of the Labor Party. I think that's disgraceful in its own in its own right. Oh, absolutely. I, and you know, Di and I actually have saying to your listeners, you do not have to keep voting Labor. All right, and don't assume that just because you're voting Labor, you're going to get you know, um, you know, cosy deals. You actually might find that you actually get a hell of a lot better service from local councillors who are genuinely local, who won't be bought, and who'll actually stand up and be transparent and fully accountable. All right, and actually mm -hmm. contactable as well. So that's yeah. really important, listeners. That's something I take you know, personally as being very, very important. I'll listen to anybody. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Second and thing, right, in regard to this is, um, uh, and this is a classic example in Canley itself. Um, you know, you spoke about council going into, into administration in two thousand and nine. Well, classic example was when Canley was actually being developed. The land where the current soccer pitches are on the corner of Furlong Road and Canley Drive, that land was supposed to be for basketball, netball, volleyball, tennis courts, um, walking track. Uh, outdoor gymnasium trail um, and um, a BMX or skateboard track as well from memory along with Salt One Soccer Oval and an Aussie Rules Oval um, also for cricket in summer. Mm. And that didn't happen because of the then Lord Mayor all right, actually being able to actually arrange for that land to actually be utilised uh, by the Fathers Soccer Club, all right, to actually take control of it. And it's actually privately run with notionally 25% public usage, but good luck with that if you try and get on it. Good luck with that. Mm. Um, let me know if you're successful. And it's really quite outrageous because that's prime real estate and um, and that land, what that effectively has meant, Di, is that we don't have one, not one set of Australian rules goalposts in Canley, not one, all right? Mm. We had to fight council to get a token set of junior goalposts put up for about three months late last year, and they've now been taken down again at Kevin Flint Reserve. Okay. Can't uh, believe they've been taken down. 
that's that's a joke. <laughs> it, it's just incredible, and it's just reflective of um. And what this is about, listeners, is the Labor Party know that they can actually utilise their ties within soccer clubs and within ethnic communities for membership. All right, there's there is the time there. But let me make it very clear too. I am not against soccer per se. I think soccer is a terrific game. I played it. Um, I love it. It's a great game, but it's not the only game in town. And over the past 17 years, through my work and through my social life, um, you know, in the local community and through speaking with a whole range of people from a whole range of ethnicities, from the young to the old, people are telling me, die overwhelmingly, we want choices. You know, we don't all play soccer. Guess what? You get to 35 or 40, playing soccer becomes a little more tricky and a little more difficult. We, you know, and what we're saying is, you know, I will actually be standing on a platform where we're actually going to really encourage things like having a set of full-size Australian rules goalposts in Kevin Flint Oval. Cost about $1,500, bucks, 2000 dollars max, all right? Very, very low cost, very easy yeah. to achieve. There's heaps of room to do it. No excuse for not doing it. No excuse yeah. whatsoever. Quick and easy win, yeah. Absolutely. Having tennis, basketball, netball courts, yeah. all right? There's one basketball um, court that I know of in Camley. There's a half one at Kevin Flint at this moment. There's a full one in Waterfield Park, but that's away from public view. So the main oval in Camley doesn't have a full-size basketball court. It's crazy, you know, yeah. no tennis courts, all right? No volleyball, no netball courts that other parts of Melbourne have, you know, ad nauseum. Yeah, in abundance. And and Canley is is like as you said, it's about 20, 20 years old. So you've got probably a lot of family, young families there. What are their kids to do? Well, that's exactly right. And uh, what actually happened is I've actually been advocating, just even for example, with the Aussie Rules facet of it, I was actually advocating for goalposts, and it was a hard fight. And I actually one stage had council come back to me and say to me, oh, that there's a whole range of um, Australian rules facilities. There's four, um, you know, there's four facilities available within two to two and a half kilometres. Well, guess what, Di? All of those four facilities are across really busy roads like Station Road, all right, and Ballarat Road, all right, really yeah. heavily traffic roads where if you're going to training after hours, you're facing peak hour traffic when you're crossing, Good luck with that for a start. You can't get the public transport because there's no buses down Canley Drive, right? Yeah. Um, and the bus service is notional anyway. Um, you know, even even if it does run and if it does stop and even if it's on time, um, it means that poor old mum or dad has got to be a taxi and uh, if they've got the time themselves to actually get their children to and from training. And we're saying all it takes is one set of goalposts, you know, one set, one pair of goalposts, you know, that would actually enable an opportunity for people to play Aussie rules. You know, it's a yeah. popular sport and it does allow pathways for people from diverse communities to actually even establish potentially a career in the future. The growth of AFL women's football has been profound and exponential. It opens up pathways that are not implausible for talented young people, both male and female, regardless of ethnicity or culture, to actually have something where they can learn it, actually earn a decent living diet. And we're saying yeah. it's an opportunity. Well, women's football is is definitely growing. And it's great to see it on TV, the 
mm. you know, the girls going up to, you know, um, the, the, the senior women's players and, and grabbing a photo or autograph. And and you can tell, you know, they're, they're wanting to be like them when they grow up. So it's good to see that from a, a female perspective mm. um, yeah. that, that you can also play um, at, you know, semi or you know, maybe in future professional women's footy. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be a bit hard if you don't have any... Uh, goalposts and you you can't you can't do any training in your own local area exactly right exactly right it's a disincentive um which really is a disservice to the local community even things like with the tennis courts and we're saying okay if you don't want to build a tennis court how about even just building a brick wall you know with a line at the correct height where people could actually hit a tennis ball up against a brick wall over a net you know and have it coming back to them if they're if they're only playing solo but even that, we haven't got even that. No. <laughs> yeah, you just think, really, this is not that hard. We're not talking about huge costs here. We're talking about no. affordable and able to be achieved, but there's just not the will or the inclination to do it because guess what? We don't really care because yeah. we've got that and that's all that counts. And when the local member is so heavily tied into that as well, um, yeah, that's a big problem. So listeners, as an independent, that's another area I will be looking at pushing and really advocating very strongly along with other independents for a range of sports and not just sports, but also recreational and social and cultural opportunities for the whole community, both young and old. There's nothing, there's nowhere near enough for elderly people or even middle-aged people in the community. And we're really keen to see that change. I'd, I'd like to see, for example, one of the things in the arts and culture field, die is um, is to, it, in Deloraine in Tasmania. Deloraine was a city that actually, a small city that had a real problem with vandalism. What they actually did is they worked, they had some brilliant youth workers and they actually got together with a local disengaged youth and said to them, you know, what would you like to do? Is there anything you can think about? And they came up with an idea where they actually learnt about how to do metal sculptures. And these are abstract sculptures made out of brass and copper and lead and so on. And just, um, you know, really, you know, sort of, um, what do you call it? You know, like Picasso-type designs that are really quite unique. And I'm not much into art, but I can see how these are extraordinarily beautiful sculptures. They're about three foot tall. There's about 20 or 30 of them along the main street of Deloraine that these local young people who are really disengaged and really acting out and doing naughty stuff, all right, actually got a chance to actually put, have something that they created along the main street in Deloraine. And guess what happened, Di? <laughs> the rate of vandalism and antisocial activity in Deloraine went down by nearly 40%. Fancy that. Nearly 40%. Down. <laughs> Yeah, Simple well, they got they got something to do that you know something to keep right. them um, you know invested and 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 actually um, appreciate the the area that they're living in with their artwork. So it it does make sense. Yep, absolutely. Because kids, you know, the reality is out here now. Kids are disenchanted. They're bored stiff. They have not got enough to do. There's not a BMX track or a skateboard track anywhere in the Canley area. But we have a dog park that's three times bigger than the children's playground. Now, don't mm -hmm. get me wrong, that dog park is brilliant. It really is, and I love dogs. I love yeah. dogs. But let's see the same size children's park. Let's see an adventure playground that has a significant amount of money put into it. You know, I, I, I um, lived for quite a while, Di, over in Noble Park, which used to be known as Struggletown. Similar yeah. sort of uh, 
socioeconomic background to um, to bring back an actual fact yeah. out in the southeast. But what was done out there was they actually worked together as a community. So you've got a, a great soccer ground. Next to that, you've got a great athletic track where they do little laughs and they just have heaps of kids there and parents there. Kids, things for kids to do. And shock horror, they've got an Australian rules football over on the other side of the soccer ground. And <laughs> those changing rooms, which is worth about $1.5 million, but they have a change rooms that, they, that are shared. And, the, yep. and there's room for both. And on top of that, they have a community facility there and a great community playground with covered barbecues, with heaps of shelter by, by shade cells and heaps of parking. It's doable. They were able yeah. to do it out there. Yeah. Why can't we do something like that in our, into our area? So those yeah. are the, the questions yeah. I'm asking and I'll yeah. be pushing for change. No, no that, that's, that's what we need. Graham and and your advocacy will uh will definitely you know put a spotlight on you know it's we've been here a long time and a lot of the stuff here is um you know we can start seeing the cracks it's it but some of our um infrastructure is quite old um and 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 in the case of Canley hasn't been developed you know it's it's sort of like they sort of got halfway through and thought okay we'll just leave it as it is you know the potential is definitely there that, that's exactly right. And and listeners, Di and I were actually having a chat just before we came on live on air, and we were talking about the fact that because of the problems we've got with the very poor public transport, so-called so servicing uh, Canley and Brimbank, the whole area, the whole region, um, mm. you know, in relative terms, it means that as people have actually been pushed post-COVID back into the workplaces, which is often into the city or places like that, or across town or to areas like Laverton or Truganina or, you know, Ravenhall or areas like that where we know traffic is already profoundly uh, over the top um, with zero public transport facilities virtually. And what it, what it means is that people who have jobs are actually spending up to two, two and a half hours a day just in trouble alone. And it's virtually turned many of our suburbs into dormitory-style style suburbs because there is not... A lot, a lot of local industry out here in the West. Um, and we're saying we need to change that. We need to actually provide alternatives for people. We need, like I said, a bus from Sunshine Station up to the airport, as an example, with just three stops. Uh, you know, it would be a super bus. It's, the, listeners, the, this is the thing, listeners. The infrastructure is already in place. We don't need to spend hundreds and hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, all right, to get this underway. It, there's no excuse for this actually not being able to be achieved, frankly, within 12 to 18 months, given if we had a government that had the political will. So as council at the first level and at the local level of government, as independents, if I'm fortunate enough to be elected along with our other independents, these are things we're going to be fighting hard to get to achieve, and they haven't been done yet because we've got a Labor-controlled council that's frankly done nowhere near enough for Brimbank as an LGA. Yeah. So that's the third thing, Di, is in regard to um, police. Now, people say, oh, that's a state government issue. Well, yeah, to some extent it is. That's exactly right. But it's also about local councils feeding back to senior police, because senior police do make these decisions and they actually do listen to community, believe it or not. 
in the West in Brimbank itself. We're short 70, 7-0 short of police officers in the West. We've got the situation where just before Christmas, so the worst possible time of year when family stress is at its highest, when people are battling to even put food on the table, let alone the pressure and expectations of Christmas, and Keel or Downs Police Station had its operating hours slashed from 24 to 8. Now, we had the situation where the Assistant Commissioner tried to actually tell us listeners that uh, it'll still be all right, we'll have police out there patrolling anyway, and uh, if people really want to go to a station, well, they can go down to um, Sunshine Station. Well, here's the rub, listeners. The reality is that Sunshine are down 50% in staff numbers, down 50%. So even if you get there, you're going to have a long delay. And I tell you what, if you're a person who's actually been stalked or a victim of domestic violence or some such horror, horrific thing or of crime and having to actually try and find and get on public transport and get to Sunshine, that's a really dangerous proposition. And it's unacceptable in this day and age, completely unacceptable, that in this state we do not have the same facilities and the same support in terms of Vic Pole, um, the reality is that between Sunshine and Milton, there is no 24-hour police station open. That's a massive distance. It's crazy. It? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think um, I think you'll get a lot of people um, in agreement with you, Graham. Uh, this is what we can at least afford. You know, with the especially with the youth crime as well, which was you know definitely an issue in the um, uh, Water Gardens, um, Sydenham area um you know late last year i mean look the crime is still there it's not to say Sorry. it's not anywhere else but uh you know there there was a bit of a focus on youth crime for quite a while and um you know i just think for the amount of people that are living in Bringbank, um i don't think any of the police stations could afford to be closed down at this time i really can't that's exactly right and, and that's the feedback that we will be giving back to vic pole um, and, uh, yeah, the reality, look, the reality at the end of the day is, and I want to make this very, very clear to listeners, is I'm not having a go at Victoria Police. I'll tell you what, the members, I've worked closely with Vicpol over the years because of my work with youth and new and emerging communities, and I've seen some absolutely fantastic people who are working their guts out day after day after day, often thanklessly, often getting abuse, which is unwarranted and unfair, against them for trying to actually keep communities safe. So yeah, I want to yeah. say to Victoria police officers out there who might be listening, we absolutely salute you. We take our hat off to you. We give you our thanks because we understand what a thankless task you've got and the pressure you guys are under because yeah. the poll at senior levels along with the Victorian government have not got it right in regard to recruitment and training and getting officers out on the beat and actually reopening stations to serve the communities that they're supposed to be serving. Yeah, all yeah. Right. And that's and that that's, police as well as all for, for, uh, first support officers. Um, absolutely. You know, our, our fire and ambulance, um, you know, our, our doctors and nurses, um, everyone. All you of know, them. They're, they're just under the pump. Yeah. Absolutely. And, under the uh, and uh, yeah. our, our hats go out to them and our hats go off to them as well, literally, you know, that, um, yeah, among all of those facilities, our emergency services, you know, our hospital, our, you know, um, this incredible stuff going on, our mental health facilities under the pump. But, Di, this is actually going back to what I actually reflected on, that as independents in council at the first level, the base level, 
one of the things we really will be pushing is things that actually engage our local young people. And, and I've dry, I actually started my working life as a youth worker working in a youth prison. I've worked oh, okay. the toughest of the tough in Victoria. I yeah, absolutely yeah. understand where they're coming from. I understand the issues that they have. I understand the frustration they feel and the anger because they feel like they're ignored, like they're not, you know, that frankly that the government doesn't give a hoot and any about them. And yeah. that's reflected in what's happening out here, the utter lack of services. And then people wonder why youth do antisocial activities. Well, they're young people. They've got high energy levels. They want things to do. But if you actually engage them and get them involved in community and actually say, hey, we want to listen to you. We actually want think that you deserve a fair go too. And we're willing to help with you, you know, to help you and walk with you on that. You get engagement, you get a huge drop potentially in that antisocial activity, and you get happier and vibrant communities where people work together, both young, middle-aged and old. Um, yeah. So the net benefit far outweighs the costs involved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, look, I think um, you raised so many good points there. And and at the end of the day, like you said, a lot of this can be done uh, with the the current budgets and resources that we already have. Mm -hmm. Um, If not, a small, you know, a small figure um, and and compared to what the state has already spent and, and and some of the, you know, local, uh, you know, community groups that have, you know, received funds, you know, from labour, um, you know, probably not directed to the the areas that needed the money the most. Yep. Um, you know, it's a chance to, I guess, you know, like I said before, really consider who you're voting for this year when it comes to council elections. And, um, you know, you've got a you know, a fantastic candidate here in Graham Law that's willing to speak um, from his experience and and be a voice for for you, um, the Bringbank community. Um, and uh, you, you've got a, a page, a Facebook page, Graham. Um, I think yeah. Graham Law official. Yep, that's right. And it's G R A E M E, and the surname Bloor is B L O R E. All right, so. Please, if if and incidentally, um, even if you don't speak English as your first language and you've heard this and you want to communicate, well, send something in your language and Google. We can use Google Translate. Um, I'm pretty adept with it and, and translate it and then get back something back to you um, in your language as well. Because I want to be a voice for the whole community. All right, I'm not just here as a as a as a middle aged white adult male. All right, I am actually here for you, whether you're black, white, male, female, all right, or non-binary, regardless of your age, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your faith background, regardless of your sexual preference, I am here for you as a, as a community of people. I'm not here to judge you. I'm actually here to work alongside you and to respect you and to actually listen to what you have and the concerns that you have as people and as a community. And together... We can actually achieve change, but we won't achieve change unless people actually do change the vote. So we're calling for you and we're imploring you, please give us a give us a go. Give the independents a chance to actually be able to actually control a narrative in council. Let's ramp things up. Let's have a council that truly represents the local community 
and not Spring Street, not what someone in Spring Street, Melbourne says, that actually represents the community so that you have local people who are accountable to you and answerable to you and actually pick up the phone when you ring and actually reply to your emails. And those are the sorts of things that we take seriously and we will do our utmost to actually represent you really well. And, uh, and we, as I said, we really would view that as an absolute honour. So um, really, Di, that's what I'm about, is being accountable, um, you know, and being transparent and open um, and approachable. I'm really listening. I'm really keen to hear what listeners have as their issues. What um, And you can ask me any question you want to in regard to local issues. I'm more than happy to address that, um, you know, and just uh, send that through the Facebook page if you like, um, your comments. Any feedback is great, providing uh, it's hopefully it's constructive. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> Sometimes sure people need to vent too, and that's okay. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. you'll do a great job, Graham. Well, I, I might just end it there. Um, I, again, thank you for for joining West Matters today, and you're welcome to come on any time. Um, and I'll just repeat um, uh, Graham's page. And also put his details on the the podcast today, uh, Graham Bloor Official on Facebook. And if you do have any questions for him, um, you can send them through to his page. Um, and I'm sure that in in uh, the, the coming weeks um, he'll share this podcast. And even if um, you get a chance, Graham, some of this information that you've talked about today, um, the the council in Tasmania and um, any information you had on Noble Park. Like if you've got any experiences there that you can share with the listeners um, just so they can get a feel of, you know, what's happening in other places that we want to achieve here in Bringbank, um, you know, mm. uh, that would probably be good as well. Um, but, yeah, for thanks sure. for joining for us sure. today. Look, that's a pleasure. Just very quickly before I go to there's one final thing, Di, that I hadn't yet touched on. Um, I did actually mention that this uh, land, this 41 hectare vacant land on the corner of Ballarat Road and Kenley Drive, Drive is to be developed by Development Victoria. I've been heading up the campaign in regard to that with Development Victoria for quite a long while now. Plans at the moment are on hold because what they had actually wanted to do was actually jam high-density housing into an area that was completely inappropriate for for it and was actually contrary to what local residents had requested in an online survey in 2020. It was completely the opposite. That fight goes on, listeners, and that will actually, I expect this year that that's going to start to ramp up again because it's a $500 million development. And that's yet another reason why it is so important to have independence on council, running council, so that we can actually push back hard against things that they're going to try and force on us that are not appropriate for our community and are not the right fit. Mm. Thanks, Di. No worries. Well, keep us updated on that too, on your page. Um, oh, oh, yeah, I'm keen to see where that heads as well this year. Yep, absolutely. And I haven't even touched on, in fact, uh, we also, as part of that, are going, uh, going to be pushing um, through local churches and welfare agencies, we're going to be pushing for a large social enterprise, not-for-profit cafe and training rooms right in the heart of that estate to actually allow opportunity for people, um, for ESL classes, for adult liter literacy classes, for child mining, for people to actually be trained up to work in the cafe 
um, as baristas, counterhands, front of office, uh, front of count, uh, counter services, and particularly given that Costco are going to be opening right across Ballarat, uh, just under the bridge on Ballarat Road on the other side of the, where the power core, so power core site is. Imagine if we can actually set up a training service and you know, where we can actually have people job ready to go into the jobs at Woolworths up at Costco because that opens late next year, Di. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, that's a great yeah. initiative. So even once it's open, we still you know, want to be able to have that opportunity and have an, have an area that's front and centre where it's a social enterprise cafe providing employment opportunity for local youth and disadvantaged people who otherwise wouldn't get a hope of having a job. And it oh, does work absolutely. and we can make it work. Yeah, that's highly valuable. That you know, transferable skills that would be um, used, utilised for many years. So um, that, that sounds like a great initiative too. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Diane. And thanks for listening. I bored you to death. Um, you can, I hope you're hearing a bit about the passion that we have and the vision we have. We do have ideas. We do have achievable ideas. And they're not costly. They're affordable uh, alternatives that actually provide a net benefit for the community and actually end up saving us all money because when you get local people and local youth that have been disengaged, engaged, well, guess what? Your costs of vandalism for a start go right down through the floor and you can put it into services that actually benefit the whole community. Excellent. Thanks, Graham. Good on your die. Thanks, listeners. Bye-bye. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks for listening to West Matters. We would love to have your ongoing support, so please make sure you follow or subscribe to the West Matters podcast to ensure you keep up to date on the latest episodes. You can also follow the Western Independent Alliance on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, bye for now.